Dear God, I thank you for all the trees that we have to breathe and everything you gave us for food. Thank you, God, for all the wonderful things you've done for our life. Thank you for guiding Joshua. Dear Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your love and your grace for us. God, Father we God, we just ask that you be with the Vogel family as they navigate uh, what this means for Dear them. Dear God, Lord, I just ask for the courage it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Bachelor Creek. Good to see all of you here today. As we said, we are starting uh, on this new year, a new sermon series today. But before I get very much into that and unveil what that is, uh, we need to go back, really, to last fall, because what we're talking about now stems from what we talked about several months ago. Last fall, you might remember that I did a series called Followship, and that whole series was about looking at the life of Jesus. What did he do? What did he prioritize? What were his habits? What were, what were the things that made up his comings and goings? And the reason why we took an investigative look like that into the life of Jesus is for one reason— because Jesus' one call to his followers was this, follow me. Not accept me, not believe me, follow me. Do as I do, live as I live, act as I act, say what I say. And that means we need to prioritize what he prioritized, right? And so we identified six things in the life of Jesus that he prioritized that we saw as regular habits and practices in his life. We saw that he worshiped regularly with other believers. We saw that he uh, connected with God daily. They were always looking for Jesus because he'd be praying in the morning, praying at night, out having time alone with him and God. We saw that Jesus did life with other people. We called them the disciples. He did life with them. We saw as well that Jesus gave generously. He gave himself, everything of himself, to the world. We saw as well that Jesus served others. He was the one that washed dirty feet. He's the one that made time to heal blind eyes and lame legs and deaf ears. He was a servant. In fact, he said, for the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a sacrifice for many. And finally, we saw that Jesus invested in the lives of other people for the sake of inviting them into a relationship with him. And at the very end of that series, we challenged all of you who were, here, who were here on that Sunday. Some of you will remember this Sunday. Some of you weren't here, but many of you were. And we gave everybody a little sticker that morning. And we had on the walls over here on each side uh, each of these six things, all right? And our challenge to you that, way was, that day was this. Identify what you believe your next step is in Christ. Where is it you need to follow Jesus better? Where is it you need to grow in your walk with Christ? And so we challenge you to take that sticker and go put it on one of those six things on the wall that says, this is where I need to follow Jesus better. And we figured all those up and we tallied all of them. And here was the discovery that was made. 45% of you on that Sunday morning identified that the next step you need to make in your walk with Christ, where you need to go to deeper waters with them, was in the area of connecting with God daily. You realized in and of yourself you were lacking when it came to the discipline of prayer, when it came to the discipline of spending time in God's word. So you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to put some new habits in place in my life. I'm going to try to structure my life so that I can make 
God and connecting with him more of a priority in my comings and goings. And so, because of that, that spoke volumes to me. And so I said, you know what, starting the new year, because half of the people in our church, hopefully it's more than half, but at least half of you identified that as a needed next step. I said, you know what, beginning of 2020, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with a series on prayer. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and it's a series called Your Kingdom Come. So I am moving forward with the assumption that you gave me. And the assumption is, is that you desire to not just pray more regularly so that it's a checklist that you can check off every day, but that you desire to pray more effectively. All right? Now, here's what I know. Our problem when it comes to prayer is not a lack of resources. We have oodles of resources. Just go to Amazon.com, look in their book section, type in the topic of prayer, and boom, 40,000 books are available to help people in their walk with God concerning prayer. But that being what it is, how many people would still say that they are frustrated with the lack of depth in their prayer life? So it's not simply a matter of having more abundance of resources. But I will say this. This desire that 45% of you express, and again, hopefully it's more than that, hopefully it's all of us, this desire to want to improve our prayer life is not new. In fact, listen to where it stems from in the pages of the gospel. Luke chapter 11, we read here, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Again, that was commonplace for Jesus because he prioritized connecting with God daily. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Do you know why this is significant right here? Because in all four Gospels, Never do we find the disciples asking Jesus to instruct them in any other area that's vital for ministry. We never find the disciples saying, Jesus, would you please teach us how to preach? Because you're a dynamic preacher and people love listening to you. Jesus, can you teach us how to heal? Because we've got throngs of people and there's power in your healing and we would be more effective in our ministry if we could just heal. Jesus, can you teach us how to counsel people who come to you with their lives shattered? Or Jesus, a lot of people criticize you and they condemn you, and you're able to shoulder that criticism so well. And we know that we're going to be criticized, Jesus. Could you, could you teach us how to do that? Never once do we find them asking Jesus to teach them anything except teach us to pray. That's what they most wanted to imitate in the life of Christ. And here's what Jesus responded with. Jesus didn't respond with, I'm glad you asked. Here's the prayer of Jabez book. I'm glad you asked. Here's Jesus calling. Take that home. Chew on it for a while. No. Not that there's anything wrong with those books, but here's what Jesus did. He gave them the following words that Luke penned for us in Luke chapter 11. But we're not going to look at Luke's Lord's Prayer version. Throughout the duration of this series, we're going to look at the Matthew 6 version. Because the Matthew 6 version is a little bit longer and it gives us even more help to grow in our prayer 
lives. And here's the very first thing that you need to see this morning, friends. A yearning to pray, which I hope is a yearning that we all have, should produce a willingness to learn. A yearning to pray, a yearning to pray like Jesus should produce a willingness to learn. What did they say? Teach us to pray. Jesus, you're the master at this. Our ears are all open. We are ready and willing to learn this. And do you know why I think that's a great question? Because I don't believe there's a human being who ever comes out of the womb and is a natural born prayer. It's not a spiritual gift. It's not a talent. It's not a skill that anybody possesses. Here's what I know about prayer. It is a discipline that is learned. And in order to grow in prayer requires a very, very, very teachable spirit. And here's what I know about these disciples. These same disciples asking Jesus, teach us to pray. Here's what I know about them. They were not novices when it comes to prayer. They were not rank amateurs when it comes to prayer. These men grew up in religious homes, in a religious society, going to synagogue de- week after week after week, hearing the prayers of the prophets, knowing the prayers of the Psalms. So it's not like they're asking Jesus, would you please teach us something that we've never done before? That's not what they're asking him. Rather, I think they saw something altogether different in the way that Jesus prayed from what they'd seen from anybody else, and they hungered for that kind of prayer life. And when Jesus lays out what we know as now the Lord's Prayer, here's what I have to understand. It is not a prayer mantra. I'm afraid that that's what a lot of Christians and even churches have done. They've taken the Lord's Prayer and they said, this is how Jesus said we should pray, so they just pray that same prayer over and over and over and over and over. It's not meant to be a prayer mantra. It's meant to be a prayer pattern. Because there's a key word that Jesus uses here. Jesus did not say, this is what you should pray. If that was the case, then we would just say the Lord's Prayer over and over and over and over, just like it shows on paper. But what did Jesus say? This is how you should pray. Huge difference there, friends. But it still requires, at its core, a very, very teachable spirit. Second thing today Learning to pray begins with doing some unlearning, all right? There's some things in life, if if you want to do it better, a skill maybe you want to possess or a talent that you want to hone in or a a craft you want to get better at, what you first got to do is unlearn what you've already been doing because you're doing it wrong, right? There was a time when somebody came to my house one day and we were going to be doing some shooting, some pistol shooting, okay? So we're out in the backyard and, and I see him, he's standing up and he's got his stance and his stance is wrong and he's holding the pistol not in a way that would promote stability or accuracy, all right? His breathing is not what it should be when he pulls the trigger. In fact, he had too much finger on the trigger. There's all these things about shooting that you really got to get right if you want to be accurate. And he's like, hey, tell me if you see me something that I could improve on. 
And there were so many things that I just wanted to say, sell your guns and take up painting. You know, that's kind of what it was. You were not going to be Annie Oakley, you know. And I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I sure wasn't like that guy, right? But that's the truth. Sometimes if you want to get really good at something, it takes an expert, somebody who knows how to do it really well, to say, if you really want to get better, you got to stop doing that because that's messing you up. You know, whether it's golf, whether it's learning to paint, whether it's playing a musical instrument, there's certain disciplines that you learned wrong and you need to now learn better and forget those things, unlearn those things, and start back from square one. In the same way, here's what Jesus says. Before Jesus says, this is how you should pray, do you know what Jesus says? These are some things you need to stop doing when you pray. Isn't that curious? I mean, don't we think that all prayer, no matter what it sounds like or what it's contrived of, is good? Not according to Jesus. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. But before we get there, we got to unlearn some things of what you've been doing already. All right? What are these things? Let's look here. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like, in other words, stop being like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then the Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Our prayer can actually be pagan-like if we're not careful. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus says here, there's some things we need to replace when it comes to our prayer life. And the first thing we need to replace, Jesus says... We need to replace performance with secrecy. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is not condemning public prayer. Did Jesus ever pray in public? Yes or no? Yes. He prayed in public when he turned, used the loaves and fishes to feed the 5,000. He prayed in public when he raised Lazarus from the dead. There's prophets, priests, and kings from the Old Testament, people who we look up to as heroes of the faith. They prayed in public. The apostles themselves in the book of Acts, there's many instances where they prayed in public. Here's what Jesus understands. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate. He understands that every single human being, we have an addiction. And that addiction can sometimes surface itself and show itself in our prayer. You know what that addiction is? We are approval addicts. We want people to like us, and we're always questioning how impressed are people with me. You want to know how strong the approval addiction is in our culture? Here I am preaching a sermon about don't pray to make an impression on people. And you know the thought that's going through my mind right now? I wonder what kind of impression this sermon's making on everybody today. You know what I'm saying? It just runs through all of us. We all want to, we all are approval addicts. We all want to make a, a, a good impression. And the problem, according to Jesus, 
is not that good works are seen. That's not the problem. He himself said in Matthew 5, let your light shine. Let your light shine for all men to see so that they may praise your Father in heaven. It's not the fact that our good works are seen. It's when we do good works to be seen. That's the problem Jesus is getting at in here. Because the struggle in prayer, especially in public prayer, is always remembering who the true audience is. I think if we're honest this morning, we've all heard prayers. We've probably all prayed prayers that were meant more for men than they were for God. Even in assemblies like this, in church settings, you'll have some well-meaning, well-intentioned brother or sister kind of wrapping up the church service that day or come up during a designated point, and their prayer is the announcement prayer. And it's on behalf of every single person there who doesn't have a bulletin, and their prayer sounds something like this. Lord, uh, we just really pray that you will be with us this Wednesday night when we have our potluck dinner at 530 and I pray that Sister Betty will bring that great cherry uh, cordial that we love so much, Lord. Pray that she'll bring that. And Lord, we pray that um, before that, that the deacons will be here to help set up the tables like they're supposed to. They're supposed to be here at 4 o'clock to do that, Lord. So we just pray that they'll be here to do that. And that whoever's in charge of lockup that night will come and make sure everything's locked, all locked up. Because last time we had a potluck, we got robbed because somebody didn't lock up. That's the announcement prayer, right? We're just kind of giving the details of what's in the church bulletin. It's not really for the benefit of God. It's for the benefit of man. Have you ever heard the gossip prayer? Some of you are like, mm-hmm, you've heard it, haven't you? We're in that prayer. We name names of people and their struggles and their hardships and maybe even the scandal that they're currently involved in. Things we would never, ever dare say in conversation but with it guised under a prayer request, it's fair game, right? So we use prayer as a, as a means to gossip and a vehicle to get out the juicy information. Or as a pastor, there's been times where I've done the recap prayer, right? At the end of the sermon, when I'm not sure you've got it just good enough I'll go through all three points of the sermon right there, asking God to help us take us with them. Right? Or have you ever been in a class or a large gathering or somewhere where a prayer is being offered, and in that prayer at some point they say something, and you're like, man, that's a good line. I'm going to have to use that next time I pray, right? Because we all struggle with approval addiction, and we want to pray to impress. Unfortunately, we're not praying to impress the right one. How many of you in here remember Phil Donahue? Okay, you just showed your age a little bit. Okay, that's all right. Phil Donahue. Um, how many of you wish you, you would be able to forget Phil Donahue? Anybody else in here like that? Okay. He was a TV reporter, but he was also a um, talk show host. I remember watching him as a kid when he was on television. Anyway, uh, Phil Donahue tells a story about how 
one time he was doing a report on a mining disaster in this certain community. And so he shows up to the scene and there's a group of people, there's family members, there's people from the community, and they had just finished singing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And then right after that, this pastor from the community comes up and he prays a very simple but powerful prayer. And then right after that prayer ends, here comes the, 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 the TV camera crew. They were a little bit behind Phil Donahue. They finally show up. So he goes over to the pastor. He says, listen, can you pray that prayer again? We didn't get that on film. And he says, no, I'm sorry, I can't. He says, listen, don't confuse me with some local yokel reporter. I'm Phil Donahue. We've got 260 affiliate stations, and millions of Americans are going to be able to see this. And this would be great TV if they could see you praying that prayer again. And he said, I'm sorry, that's not why I prayed. And he left. And Donahue later said that he realized something. Even though he was initially mad about that and couldn't believe the audacity of that minister not to do something for the sake of the American people, he said, I realized something that day. That I had witnessed something called integrity. That integrity is who you are in the private matches up with who you are in the public. So, to keep your addiction approval and my addiction approval in check, we need to give real attention, friends, to our private life. And Jesus understands this struggle. And that's why Jesus says this, a secret to prayer is secret prayer. You've got to spend a lot of time with God alone. Let me tell you something, folks. You will never, ever, ever grow in the discipline of prayer as long as the primary times you pray are always in front of people. Jesus didn't just say that, he modeled it. I could give you a dozen verses right now that show Jesus in this discipline. Let me give you just a few right now, Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, or we could say secret places, and prayed. He wasn't in the public eye. Luke 6, 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a, what kind of place? Solitary place where he prayed. Jesus was always intentionally creating his closet. And a closet does not have to be a designated room. A closet can be a hillside. A closet can be out at the salimony. A closet can be in the wilderness. A closet can be out in your, your shed, in the backyard. The point is, Jesus made sure he was by himself and he prayed for the applause of only one his father. So the first thing to unlearn is that we need to replace performance with secrecy. Second thing we need to do, we need to replace eloquence 
You want to guess what? Simplicity or sincerity, we could say. Sincerity. Now, true confession. I didn't come to know Christ until my teenage years. But after I came into relationship with Christ and after I got plugged into a local church, I gotta admit something to you. Something kind of freaked me out. One of the things that kind of freaked me out was when I heard uh, Christians pray and talk to God. Because they seemed to kind of go through this transformation from the Christian that I talked to out in the foyer or in the parking lot or shooting hoops in the church gym to when they got on the church stage. It's kind of like this transformation took place in them and in their words and their tone and in their prayer. Call them transformers, like the Decepticons and the Autobots. You know what I'm talking about? Go from robots to cars or cars to robots. You know, they got Optimus Prime. This was Optimus Prayer, okay? Let me just tell you a few observations that I made. And I'm sure you made these same kind of observations as well. And this is meant to be kind of lighthearted and provide some levity here. But here's some things that I realized. I realized that typically these people that I knew that would talk in average tones to me, when they got up to pray, their tone went a whole lot deeper. Right? Like God would not hear you. He would have his ears closed to you unless you prayed to him in the voice of Barry White. Right? Oh, we got some prayer coming today, folks, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Now, I know that God wants us to go deep in prayer. I didn't know that that meant my octaves had to go two levels deeper, though, okay? So there was the, the deep prayer. And there was also the, the kind of people that transformed as well, that their whole vocabulary changed. It's like, you know, the guy that I knew that worked at the gas station, when he got up to pray, it sounded like he was reading from a theological dictionary. His prayer would be like, oh God, we thank you for the sanctimonious ecclesiastical gathering of your saints. We pray that as we exegete the logos, that there will be an epiphany that brings you the Shekinah glory that you so deserve, right? And it's like, we don't talk like that when we're shooting hoops on the, on the fort, you know? Why are you talking like that now? And then also, I know this one is everybody's going to identify with. For some reason, only when you pray in church is it acceptable to pray in the King James language, right? Have you witnessed that before? People who would talk street normally are now praying in Shakespeare, right? And they just say things, you know, where their prayer is like, oh Lord, thou, thou wouldest give us the greatest, epiphaniest of all greatest things because you are thinest. And it's like, they got these ESTs going where there's not supposed to be ESTs, right? And it's like you see them after church and they invite you to lunch, but they don't say, what's thou and thy kin like to do sup with us after church, you know? But for some reason, when they're on stage praying, it's perfectly acceptable, right? It's like they become prayer pirates. Our Father who art in heaven. <laughs> Don't become Jack Sparrow, man. Just be yourself. And I think, and that, that's the whole thing is what I'm saying. I'm just telling you, friends, that's what Jesus is saying in a nutshell. Don't get weird. Get real with God. 
you don't talk like that anywhere else. You don't use those kind of words anywhere else. Why would you with God? He knows your hurts. He knows your hearts. He knows your dreams and your hopes. And all he wants to do as a father to a child is just to connect with you, the real you. Here's what I think it boils down to. Do you see God the same way Jesus saw God? Do you see him as a giving father? What scripture says, that all good and perfect gifts come down from above, from the father of heavenly lights. Do you see him as a lover? That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Because here's what I assure you. When you see God differently, you will pray differently. And things will come together like they never have before for you, friends. And here's what I'm learning. And some of you have learned this as well. That a lot of praying is just groaning. I maybe know what I'm talking about when I say that. That a lot of praying is just groaning. Instead of trying to impress God with a lot of words or repetitious words or big words or, or biblical words, a lot of prayer, to be quite frank with you, is not even having the most basic words to say because of just the pain in your life. I've had seasons like that. Seasons in my life where I just get on my knees and I don't even know how to say it. I can't articulate it. I can't craft it. I can't wordsmith it. I, I'm just at a loss for words. I don't even know how to say it. So you think, well, you just get up then and you stop praying? No. I've just learned how not to say it with God right there with me. And I claim Romans chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not even know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You want to know what Paul's saying right there in a nutshell? You can write this in your Bible. A heart without words is so much better than words without a heart. Let me say that again. A heart without the words is so much better than words without the heart. And that's what the Lord wants. Heart, real, you, true, authentic, father to child. Let me tell you something, friends. 
prayer is ultimately not about getting answers. I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not. You know what prayer is ultimately about? Spending time with your Father. So if that's the purpose of prayer, is communing with your Father, you know what that tells me? That you have never once then experienced unanswered prayer. Because that's the whole purpose of it, is spending time with him. Let me close with a story right now. Because I think this is kind of the ideal, kind of what we're shooting for. Kind of the, the mind's eye picture that I'd like for you to have as you leave today. Story told by Chuck Swindoll. Maybe you heard it on the radio. It's an old story, um, but I want to say it again. He says here, back in 1958, when I was a young Marine stationed on the island of Okinawa, I became closely associated with a man I deeply admired. His name was Bob Newkirk. I didn't know what it was exactly that first drew me to Bob. More than anything else, I guess, there was something refreshingly unpretentious about him. He was devoted to the things of the Lord, no question, but it was never on parade, never for the purpose of public display, and I love that. I never got the idea that Bob was interested in making big impressions on me or other people. He was what he was, plain and simple, far from perfect, but authentic and real. I remember dropping by his home late one rainy afternoon to pay an unexpected visit. His wife met me at the door and informed me that he was not home. She added, you've probably noticed lately that he has been under some stress. I think he may be down at his office. I'm not really sure, but he told me he just wanted to get alone. I decided to try Bob's office, a little spot down in Naha. I caught the three-wheeled jitney that took me from the village where the Newkirks lived down to the capital city of the island. It was still raining lightly, so I stepped around and over the puddles as I made my way down a street, across an alley, then another alley, until I came upon his unassuming, modest office. Before I arrived, however, I could hear singing in the distance. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. It was Bob's voice. I'd know it anywhere. I stood outside in the rain for a few moments listening as my friend continued singing the simple hymn. Then I confess, I peeked in the window and saw a candle on a table. My friend on his knees and not another soul around. He was spending time with the Lord all alone. As I stood outside, the soft falling rain dripping off my nose and ears, my eyes filled with tears of gratitude. Bob never knew I came by that evening, but without his knowing it, I got a glimpse of authentic Christianity that night. Not piety on parade, not spiritual showtime, but a man in the shelter of the Most High. In the back streets of Naha, I learned more about simple faith than I would later learn in four years of seminary. And that's the goal, friends. That's what Jesus had in mind. The man and his God with an audience of one in realness. 
authentic dialogue. Here's what I know. I know the topic of the Lord's Prayer is not a real cool, trendy, hip way to get people into the church. I doubt if you have friends or family members who are looking for a place to go, if you say, come to our church, we're preaching on the Lord's Prayer, I doubt it's going to be a real big hook for them to come. But here's what I know. Prayer is never out of fashion. Prayer is always needed to go deeper. And developing this kind of life will change you, this church, and this world more than anything I could preach from this pulpit. So how about it? As we end today, I'd like to ask you to make your own prayer closet right where you're at. And ask God to show you the things you need to stop doing in prayer. The things you need to start doing. To admit that you've lived for approval addiction. And that now you're just living for his approval. And no one else's. That's my prayer for you. And I pray that you'll keep coming back and you'll learn this beautiful pattern of prayer that Jesus laid out for us that is so much deeper than any of us would see at face value. So would you join me now in a word of prayer then? Father, we come to you today thanking you that you care about us enough to say what we should stop doing so we can start doing something better. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us a prayer that we can look at and we can dissect and we can see the true heart of our Savior behind it. I pray, Lord, for that 45% of people who said, I want to connect with God daily more. And I pray it's even greater than 45%, Lord. I pray that that will start today. That they'll find their closet, they'll get alone with you, they'll share heart, they'll shed tears. They might even just groan because of where life has them now. So thank you, Lord, that you're there to hear us. I pray for those souls who are here today, Lord, that if they're in a time of despair or hopelessness, if they need someone to pray with them, Father, I pray that they'll join us in the back porch this morning or they'll come up here to the front and just pray on the steps. And that we will be known as a praying church. I thank you, Father, for who you are, what you've done, and what you invite us to. I pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen.